it was like, okay, we're delaying a launch. I'm thinking I have a full staff. What are, what am I having them do? You know, now I, I have to, you know, dip into this investment, this seed money to pay for payroll, just to, to keep the lights on, so to speak for another month before we're making any money. So I went into survival mode in that way. I'm thinking, how can I stretch every dollar as far as possible? And beyond that, how do we adapt to working in a different way? We weren't fully remote all the time, but 99% of the time, yes. Don't take no for an answer. That's Sophia Hutchins' mantra, and it has taken her from coming up with the idea behind Lumisol in her senior year of college to launching her business in the middle of a pandemic. Lumisol is an innovative sun care brand that has disrupted the saturated beauty and skincare industry by integrating technology and Instagram-worthy aesthetics. You'll never forget to reapply again. Through her experience raising venture capital, to learning to roll with the punches and building a strong team virtually, Sophia's entrepreneurial journey is already full of key learnings and wisdom, and she's just getting started. Coming up, you'll hear what inspired Sophia to launch a sun care line in a saturated beauty and skincare market, how Lumisol is different from any other sun care product on the market, and how it seamlessly integrates technology into its design, what it's like to launch a new product during a pandemic, and how the Lumisol team quickly pivoted their marketing strategy. Sophia's belief that the most efficient way to market a product is through relationships. Her best tips on creating a company culture while working remotely and the mistakes she has learned while building her team. The challenges of raising venture capital during a pandemic and her best advice on powering through the nose. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Sophia, I am so excited to sit with you today and hear about your story and your business journey because you started your business while you were a senior in college. I would love to hear how you came up with the idea for your business and how you were able to really get it off the ground while you were still in school. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. It's exciting to be here and talk with you and your audience. The idea for this business really started when I was a senior in college. I was at Pepperdine studying economics and finance. And that's what I majored in. (laughs) Oh, really? So I was studying something entirely different and then sunscreen or beauty. But at the time that I was a senior, I was kind of exposed to skin cancer for the first time in my life. At the time, I was also doing something interesting, which was I was managing Caitlyn Jenner, and I was also the CEO of her foundation, which wasn't really a full-time job, so I could do that during college, and it was a lot. It was a lot to juggle, but that was my first time I was ever exposed to skin cancer, uh, was Caitlyn Jenner had skin cancer. And so one night, we were leaving a dinner, and Caitlyn had just had something taken off of her nose that was skin cancer. And there were paparazzis that took photos of this. And I said, it's going to come out the next day. Let's get ahead of this and post a PSA about wearing your your sunscreen so you don't get skin cancer. 
And anyways, as a result of that, a ton of PR packages were sent to Caitlin and a lot of people reached out about her endorsing their brand or whatever um, SPF product they were pushing at the time. And I said, I hate all of these products. I don't want you involved with any of these brands. The deals weren't even that amazing. I'm going to do my own sunscreen company. And if you want to get involved, you can back that one. And so that's pretty much how that all came to fruition in the very, very beginning. What year was that? That was 2018. So that was early 2018. And I wrapped up my senior year that spring in April, May, 2018. And I was really able to fully focus on building that business. So I worked really closely with an accelerator that a large management consultant firm owns out of Silicon Valley. And they worked with me to conduct consumer and market research to really prepare for a pitch to venture capitalists. That took us into late 2018. I started pitching Q1 2019. And that's when I funded the company or got the company funded. Wow, that is super exciting and a very quick timeline. I just want to go back to when you were initially sent those samples and you started, were you researching the ingredients that were in there? And that's why you were like, we just can't be behind any of these products? No, for me, what was really kind of boring about a lot of the samples was that they were all the same. They were just in different bottles. And even the bottles were boring. They were all pretty much the same type of bottle or container. They were all these white, goopy, just not pleasant products. And no wonder people don't wear sunscreen appropriately if you're not given a variety of really unique different options. I mean, look at makeup. You can get a million different shades of one color, right? (laughs) And I felt sunscreen really should have the same type of innovation. And it was all just so boring. Really, I think, you know, I say that my company, we're not competing with other sunscreen companies that are only competing based on formula differentiation, but it goes so much further. It's form factor. It's how are you dispensing this? It's how is this fitting into your everyday lifestyle? And these products just didn't seamlessly fit into an everyday lifestyle. And when did product development start? Were you working on the product while you were raising money or did you raise money and that's when you went into developing the product? So having, you know, having just been out of college, I didn't have a lot of money to invest into this brand myself. So that's, you know, ultimately why I went out to raise money was I needed to get ahead of that. And, you know, we definitely had a proof of concept for what formula we wanted and what ingredients that would likely contain or likely entail. And in general, I didn't really start the FDA approval process or the heavy formulation until after funding, just because that's a big upfront capital investment. Yeah, absolutely. Can you share what some of the differentiating factors are of your company compared to all of the other sunscreens that are out there and how you knew that you needed to just make your product so special to stand out? Yeah, I think beauty in general is extremely saturated. Beauty skincare is super saturated. And then you kind of get sun care, like shoved off to the side. People stray away from it because it's expensive to get into. The barriers to entry are a lot higher. And you have to go through all, which, you know, is largely because of the FDA approval process. It's an over-the-counter drug. So that aside, there was a lot of room for innovation. And I feel that most of the competition in SPF today is 
I'm a skincare or a makeup brand and I have some SPF products, Mm -hmm. or I'm an SPF first brand that's only making SPF products, but they're only really competing or differentiating with formula. We wanted to turn that upside down. We wanted to be number one, SPF first. Number two, bring the business model into the 21st century. Subscription-based, direct-to-consumer, very much a lifestyle type of product. Make it portable, make it travel-friendly. And then beyond all of that, we want a tech-integrated component to the product. And so our vision for Lumisol is really to drive reapplication. And that tech-enabled component for the first iteration is not that intense. It changes color when it's exposed to UV, triggering you to reapply. But as the product evolves, the tech evolves. And we're excited about that in the future. And that's really where we see ourselves playing is not just with formula, but the entire idea of a sunscreen brand. When did you launch the product? The product went on sale May 1st of 2020. Oh, so it's just launched in the the middle of COVID. How is it launching a brand in the middle of of this pandemic? Well, (laughs) as you could imagine, it's not the easiest thing. We were initially slated for April 1st. I decided to push the launch just because there was a lot of uncertainty. We were the exclusive SPF at Coachella. We were booked on Good Morning America and everything the world turned upside down. There was no live broadcast bookings that were going to stay with a sunscreen brand in the middle of, you know, the COVID, the COVID coverage. Beyond that, we didn't know where we were going to be. Were we going to have pop-ups? Did we have to cancel all of our pop-ups? So we had to really reevaluate our launch and we delayed it to May. It really teaches you a lot about yourself and your ability to flex. I'm really proud of what myself and my co-founder have done to pivot our marketing language, to pivot our social assets, everything that we've done really was more to be more sensitive to the time that we were in. Because prior to COVID, sunscreen was a social product. You know, you're at the beach with a lot of people, you're at a pool party with a lot of people. Could you imagine if a new sunscreen brand came out with that kind of marketing collateral? You'd be ostracized. Yes. Oh my gosh, you're so tone deaf, you know? So we had to redo all of that and make it a lot less social and more about personal care, which it is. But that was a totally different marketing angle than we were planning on. What was that process like having to pivot your entire marketing strategy when you've now worked for the, the past year leading up to this big launch and now it probably felt like your whole world was coming crashing down on you and you had to change everything. Can you take us back to some of those moments and, you know, problem solving with your team and any advice you can share about getting through some of those really, you know, tough moments? Yes. We kind of went into survival mode. It was like, okay, we're delaying a launch. I'm thinking I have a full staff. What are, what am I having them do? You know, now I I have to, you know, dip into this investment, this seed money to pay for payroll, just to to keep the lights on, so to speak, for another month before we're making any money. So I went into survival mode in that way. I'm thinking, how can I stretch every dollar as far as possible? And beyond that, how do we adapt to working in a different way? We weren't fully remote all the time, but 99% of the time, yes. So a lot of the decisions that were really fundamental to the business launching were made remotely. And that was a weird weird feeling, but we adapted. We had to do, you know, different types of marketing content, capturing sessions, shoots, and 
just reworking all of that was a very unsettling time, but it was something that we did and we had no choice but to do it. And what was the response when you finally did launch? We had a great launch. May was our launch month. We sold thousands and thousands of units. You know, what was really important for me was not that we just sold a lot of product, but that we got a lot of subscribers because that means our messaging really got through. And we had great metrics there for um, the percentage of customers that subscribed and then, of course, have subsequently stayed subscribed. We got a lot of press. We had a lot of influencers promote the product organically just because they loved it. So I think we made a big splash. Can you talk about some of the marketing strategies that you used for the launch? Like, is there a secret sauce and why you think everything was so successful? I think... You can hire marketing people to do the marketing for you and, you know, run your Google ads and run your Facebook ads and all that stuff. I think that's kind of boring. I think marketing comes down to relationships. And so what I told my team all the time was, I'm your biggest asset here. And I think I'm the most underutilized asset here. I seem like I also say to them, I feel like I'm the chief external officer. I think that's what CEO should stand for because I feel like 80% of my time is talking to people in my network. Hey, check out this new product. You're going to love it. You should promote it. You should invest in the company. And so my marketing strategies were always about relationships and using relationships in order to promote the product. And that's, I think, why May was, that's definitely why May was so successful was we had to make a splash. And I knew how to do that beyond those traditional marketing measures. And you need that. If you're just going down the traditional marketing road or any traditional road, quite frankly, it's probably not going to pan out that well for you. You've got to think kind of beyond that. Any other learnings that you can share um, in terms of marketing strategies from your launch? We have a lot of listeners who are, you know, thinking about starting a business or about to launch a business and trying to come up with different strategies to, to get customers right away. Yes. Number one, do not pay influencers on a pay-for-play basis. Make sure your incentives are equally aligned. That goes beyond just paying influencers. That goes to paying agencies. It's always important that whenever you're negotiating any type of arrangement between any outside party that your incentives are aligned, they need to push product if they're going to financially benefit from your company and the company needs to ultimately financially benefit. I think it's a really fine line to pay for impressions and brand awareness and performance. And walking that fine line is something that you can really only do once. You have one time to come out of the gate to really prove yourself. And that will define how your company really moves forward from there. And so I say make the biggest splash you possibly can as organically as you possibly can. And I would conclude that by saying, don't be afraid to be told no. If you, you know, are trying to push some deal that makes your incentives align with whoever you're working with, if they say no, great, move on to someone else. People are out there. People are willing to help you and people are willing to have fair deals and they will understand your perspective when you're, you know, an entrepreneur being scrappy, not throwing your money away. Now you're four months into to running the business. What's next? What are you lo- most looking forward to towards the end of 2020, this wild year of 2020? <laughs> I'm just looking forward to 2020 being over. Yes. <laughs> I'm ready for 2021. I wish we could all just like hibernate. Yes, yeah. still have that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that launch was 
something that we had prepared for for a long time. And it just felt like we just kind of had to press the button to go live. So, you know, we've been working on plenty of other different things within the business that come down to marketing, new products, etc. And so we were constantly planning at least six to nine months ahead. Can you give us a little insight into what we can expect in 2021? Well, <laughs> you know, I think what's really important for me is that we actually do integrate the technology into this product. So right now we sell one product, one variation of the product. It's a refillable SPF container that we call the engine. And you load it with vials of SPF and those vials missed out onto your face. That engine right now changes color when it's exposed to UV, triggering you to reapply. In the future, we envision that engine talking to your smart device mm. and really telling you, you know, when you should be applying, how often you should be applying, reapplying, and really driving healthy SPF usage. Beyond that, I, I can't get much further, but, you know, think of a smart connected SPF device. Coming up, you'll hear why your team is your most important asset and how to create a vibrant company culture remotely. I'd love to talk about your team. How big is your team right now? And are there any roles that you will be hiring for, for before the end of the year? Yeah, number one. <laughs> when you're building a team, it's so important that you don't build the wrong team. I built the wrong team. I'll just put it out there. And dealing with those types of decisions last a really long time. And there are consequences to hiring people that can be positive or negative. For me, my first hire was one of my best friends from college. And I used to work for him in college. And he's like, we started a company together in college. And he's now my co-founder and the COO of the brand. And he's been great. His background was in investment banking and consulting. So we really complement each other well. That being said, we have very different you know, visions on what we want in our talent. And so there's a lot of compromise when you are deciding who to hire. And I think in general, when you're trying to establish a culture at a new brand, and you're trying to establish that culture via Zoom or FaceTime with new people, it's very difficult. And I think we made some, some choices that we definitely regretted. And it's just kind of a strange time to be hiring a team. But when you do find good talent, latch onto them and do not let them go. Bring them into your family, bring, make them your friend, because that is so rare. And when you find it, you know, you'll know. Some, it's like dating almost. How big is your team now? How many people do you have? Oh, goodness. Probably about a dozen people. So I have full-time employees and then we have contractors mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that are regularly involved with us. So I would say about a dozen. Can you share you know, some of the mistakes you made in hiring and the lessons learned from that that you now know you won't repeat going forward? Boy, be careful who you welcome into your life. I don't know how openly I can speak about some of this. I need to be a little bit careful. When you get into a position where you have any ounce of, I think, publicity or you're a public figure in any capacity or you're perceived to have a lot of wealth, perhaps, which I don't. I wish that was the case. <laughs> I'm just an entrepreneur trying to run a startup here. But when you're kind of perceived in, the, in certain ways, people will come after you and there are parasites at your feet. 
and they will try to bring you down. And you've got to be really, really strong. When you see that kind of energy or you feel that, trust your intuition and get rid of those people. Ideally, don't bring them in in the first place, but you've got to be really careful to not be taken advantage of and um, to, you know, not be used by people um, because they will use you. Are there certain questions that you now ask during interviews to be sure that the people that you're bringing on are the the right people who you can trust and know are there for the right reasons and want to be part of your team and build your company? Yes. I think for me, we've had the hardest time with marketing because it's such a large umbrella and people's experiences, they can really talk up or, you know, not accurately represent So beyond me interviewing someone, I can dive pretty deep technically with a marketing interview, but I really would like to rely on someone that has a deep knowledge of marketing to really give a seal of approval on marketing hires. So go to people that you know that are experts in the space that you're looking to fill and have them give a seal of approval. I've got a guy on my advisory board that's one of the CMOs at Google. And so he's a great guy to do an interview like that. And if he's not, he knows someone that could do that interview to really give a seal of approval on a marketing person. I think at the beginning, I didn't emphasize that enough. And now, having learned it the hard way by making hiring mistakes, you really, really take every hire so differently and so much more seriously. And you don't rush it. You don't think, oh, they'll be fine. They, they did a great interview or a great few interviews. You really have them vetted a little more thoroughly. That's really, really great advice. Do you have any tips to share on how to manage a company remotely through Zoom or Google Meets or whatever the preferred (laughs) video platform is? Yeah, that's a tough one. Quarantine with your your team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think in general, what's really important is that you set time to touch base with everyone, one-on-one and then as a group. I, I don't I'm not into the whole, let's have lunch on Zoom or happy hour on Zoom. To me, that's way too much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But there are people that feel really good when they do those things. And, you know, just because it doesn't work for me or something doesn't work for you doesn't mean it doesn't work for other people. So as someone that, you know, does employ very different types of people, any employer, you need to be sensitive to that. And so I regrettably did happy hours on Zoom, you know, and it's not like it was this most thrilling event, but to some people that really made a difference. And you just really need to remove yourself from it, put your, your employees first and put their needs and desires first. Well, we just launched a product that I'd love to send to you. It's actually these cards to make these Zoom meetings more fun and and, uh, interactive. So we'll definitely be sending you some so you could try it out. Oh, I love that. Thank you. And I want to dive into talking about the fundraising process right now, because you started fundraising, you know, right out of school. You had never raised money for a company before, correct? Well, kind of. Uh, not not exactly. So what- I did a lot of fundraising for Caitlyn Jenner Foundation. Right, right, right. So I raised several million dollars for that. But that's very different from fundraising for for a nonprofit yeah. than a than a for profit. Can you share yeah. a little bit about your experience raising money for your company? And I'm sure you learned so much along the way that that you can share as well. Yeah. So the first time around, we were in one of the strongest economies that we've been in in decades. In general, VC obviously reflects what's going on at a macro level. 
and I was at the right time in the right place. I don't believe I didn't have a compelling product or story or vision or anything. I believe that was all compelling, obviously. But I think fundraising in that time versus today is night and day. And right now, I pity anybody that's trying to fundraise, especially when you're trying to fundraise with people that you've never met before and you're doing it digitally or virtually. It takes so many more meetings today and it's horrible. So I've, I've done both. I fundraise in the best economy where you could go to drinks with people and have dinner. And by the way, every investor I've ever talked to has said, I would never invest in a company where I haven't had drinks or dinner with the founder and CEO. And how do you do that now? You can't. <laughs> or, you know, a lot of the times you can't. So it's just a totally different environment today. I've had fundraising talks now or talks with different investors. And it's just not the same. I, I think for me, with the type of personality I have and the way that I do business, I would wait to fundraise until this is over and you can have cocktails and dinner with people. And you, so you closed your round earlier this year or the end of last year? No, February, 2019. 2019. And then you're preparing for the launch for the, for the last year. Do you know if and when you would want to raise funds again, or are you just focused on sales, sales, sales? I am focused on sales, sales, sales. <laughs> but when you do have a somewhat, you know, public company, not public, but somewhat a company that's had some attention put on it, and you're backed by two big VCs, that is a very small community. And so investors will come after you after you launch. And a lot of the reason I think they come after you is they want to know what's going on. Everybody wants to know if they're missing out on something or if they should get in on something. Don't give away the store. Don't give up all of your info. Don't give up your data. Don't give up your metrics unless you really think this conversation is going to go somewhere. And you'll know that because someone else outside of that conversation would have said, hey, this, co- this firm is really interested in investing or acquiring you. Take the conversation. I've taken dozens and dozens and dozens of meetings with investors and 90% of them are fishing for data and they want to talk to you and nobody wants to miss out on the next fun, cool company to invest in. But the fact is 99% of them are going to miss out on it. And don't take every call with investors would be my biggest piece of advice. A lot of them are just fishing for info that you don't need to give them. How can you tell when they're fishing for information? It's hard. I still haven't perfected that. Generally, if I don't know them, if I wasn't introduced to them by someone I'm really close to, maybe it's someone that I'm connected to, but I'm not really close to, generally, I won't give up much info. They'll pretty much, you know, every fund that you talk to should describe themselves to you, their thesis, the stage they invest in, the verticals they're exposed to. They should talk about some of their portfolio companies. I think they should really introduce themselves to you before you just introduce yourself to them, especially when they're the ones reaching out or being introduced to you, have some reason they want to talk to you. So that's always a red flag is when they just jump into, okay, tell us about Lumisol. And then another red flag is when you are talking about Lumisol, you give some data to give a taste, right? And they want more. They want to know more beyond that. And in the first phone call or Zoom meeting or whatever, you know, that's kind of a red flag for me. I know I'm just meeting you for the first time, but it sounds like you have some really incredible business and entrepreneurial instincts. Would you say you were a born entrepreneur? You started at such a young age. I did. I did. I think so. Yeah, I love it. 
I love hustling. I really like to work all the time. I like to have fun, but I really have fun working. Me too. That's like us. We can't stop. (laughs) It's like an addiction. I think that's the ultimate definition of success is when you can't tell the difference between work and play. I can't. Yeah. I'm going to have drinks tonight with some people that I know through work. And it's like, that's work, but it's fun. You're talking about things that you have in common. These are some other beauty entrepreneurs that you have a lot in common with. You go through you know, different or similar struggles or, you know, hills or battles or whatever. And it's fun. Of course, I'd rather have drinks with that group of people than a group of friends, you know, from college or something that aren't in beauty, you know, it's just kind of fun to have that in common with people and connect on that level. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel like for both Courtney and myself, you know, we've just built our whole network over the years and all of our friends have been entrepreneurs and in these entrepreneur groups so we can all help each other and lift each other up and connect each other with with others. And it's been so fun to watch, you know, all of our friends' businesses grow over the years and can totally, can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny? <laughs> I know you talked about some hiring mistakes, but were there any other mistakes or wish things that you wish you knew sooner in the last four to five months? God, I wish I knew that we were going to have an economic shutdown. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I knew that. I wish. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of, I feel like we're in the twilight zone. Yes. When is, when is this ever going to end? I don't know what's going to be the ending point for enough people. I don't know. It's tough. I, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could have seen that we were going into not just a you know a pandemic, but that we were going into an economic shutdown. Look, I will say in your industry right now, people are really craving to get outside and to get fresh air and they're in the sun now. It's the summer. I feel like you are really now in the perfect industry to be in because the only thing to do is really spend time outside and not spend as much time indoors. So find this silver lining and turn it around. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. That's so true. And people are outside. Sunscreen is up 20% year over year. And so, or up from, yeah, this in August of 2019, we're up 20% year over year in overall sunscreen sales. So for us, it's really important that we do capitalize on that growth because people are going outside yep. and we want to complement their lifestyle, which, you know, they may be outside with less people doing different types of things, but they are outside. Yeah, absolutely. So you obviously work very closely with Caitlin and also have a great relationship with the Kardashians who have built incredible beauty businesses. Have they been able to share advice with you on how to grow and scale a beauty business? Are there, you know, ins and outs or tricks they've shared that you're following? Yeah, I think everybody is so different. Caitlin's not really a business person. So that kind of advice is very different than the type of advice you would get from Kris Jenner or the advice that you would get from Kim or the advice that you would get from Kylie. Everybody has said, or Courtney, she's also really into her beauty with Poosh and wellness. Everyone has different advice. I think everyone has found success because of their different perspective and they've all found different types of success. I think what, you know, a lot of the common advice is you need to surround yourself with people that uplift you, people that believe in you and people that are there, you know, to really support your vision and your journey. 
And I've been really fortunate to do that, you know, for the most part. Anyone that's really close to me is that person or that type of person. And I think that's the underlying common theme is surround yourself with positive people and and mentors. Mentors are huge. Surround yourself with the right people that can just shower you with advice and their thoughts and feedback. And there's no expectation of anything in return other than you're having a conversation. So I've been really, really careful about doing both of those things. That's really who great. Are your, who are your mentors? Oh, gosh. I think I have a lot. Mm. I think probably the best description, uh, I have an advisory board, a very small advisory board for my company as two wonderful people. And the one that I'm closest to, I've known for several years, his name is Nick Drake. And when I met him, he was the CMO at T-Mobile. And I met him because I booked an endorsement type of thing for Caitlin at T-Mobile. And we remained in touch. Turns out he lives near me, just down the street in Malibu. And now he's at Google. And if I ever have a question on marketing or bringing on talent or how to scale something up or, oh, I need a contact here, he's the first person to try to do it. And even if he doesn't get something for me, he'll point me to someone he thinks can get someone for me. So he's been an amazing resource, influence, and really good friend. I think a lot of times people are, you know, scared or intimidated to reach out and ask someone for advice or to become an advisor or a mentor. So you just shared how, you know, this was a business contact of yours through working with Caitlin and reaching out to this contact. How were you able to really build that relationship from your experience working with Caitlin and turn it into a relationship to really be able to help you learn and grow now in your business? So that relationship was interesting. Caitlin does a lot of public speaking. And so one of the speaking engagements that I booked was a corporate gig with T-Mobile and it was on diversity and inclusion. And so when I was booking it, somehow I was put in touch with Nick and he was just this bubbly, friendly guy. The key is I think you need to be super friendly with everyone. You may be having a horrible day. You may, you know, some anything could be going wrong. You've got to be super nice and super friendly to everyone you come across because you never know how they're going to help you. I'm booking some speech that's like a normal speech for Caitlin that she does once or twice a month. I could have very well been rude and boring with the people I was connecting with. And believe me, I've done that with some people and I've regretted it or, you know, nothing ever came to fruition. And so I'm talking to the people at T-Mobile and I just established an amazing relationship with their team there and then personally with Nick. And we've remained very close ever since. I think it's really important to be intentional with how you connect with people. So beyond, you know, talking business or a fee for Caitlin at T-Mobile, it's really oh my God, tell me about you, Nick. Where do you live? Oh, you live down the street from me in Malibu? Let's get drinks. Let's have dinner, whatever. So I think just being intentional connecting and, you know, it is intimidating when you're talking to someone that's, you know, so successful, but I think you just kind of have to get over it to the best of your ability. They're just like you. And honestly, successful people love to give back and love to mentor and give advice. And I think that's why they are successful is because they are very generous with their time. Yeah. I think that is such good advice. Up next, the importance of learning to roll with the punches and dealing with rejection while fundraising. 
Hey, entrepreneurs! I am so excited to announce the launch of the new Entrepreneurista website. We listen to what you are looking for and have created a resource for each of you that goes beyond each episode of our podcast, so you can continue to discover the best women-led brands, products, and services to help your business grow. We will be featuring more stories from female entrepreneurs, business leaders, and we'll publish exclusive content and interviews on the website to continue to provide you with as much value as possible. Be sure to check out our entrepreneurs shop filled with branded merchandise and our entrepreneurs picks featuring discounts and special offers from your favorite female-led brands. We've created a special coupon code just for you for our launch for all entrepreneurs swag. Use code PODCAST10 at checkout. We can't wait to hear what you think. And thank you so much for being part of our community. Head on over to entreprenista.com to start exploring and use code PODCAST10 at checkout. So I want to know, is there something that our audience would be surprised to learn about you? Goodness. That's an interesting question. Audience surprised to know. Yeah, probably. I would say you know, in general, there's this kind of weird balance you walk whenever you're in the media. It's so made up or it's so spot on. And weirdly, people know me from when people do know of me or know me, they know me generally from tabloids. And I think that's so annoying and so stupid that the tabloids have that much of an impact on people's lives, that that's where they would know someone from. And it's sad because I've been in Forbes, I've been in the New York Times, like great, amazing press, beauty press, trade press, everything. And people know you from the tabloids for supposedly dating someone 50 years older than me, which was never the case. And I just never discussed with anyone in the media because that's that's not my style. So, you know, that misconception of who I am as a person has been there and has kind of been dangling over my head throughout this entire business process. And it's been a major hurdle. And I think people think that's helped me in some way or boosted me in some way, the tabloids. And it's been a bigger hurdle than it has as a boost or a help in any way. How have you been able to overcome that challenge? I think number one, doing interviews like this. I think talking to people in the business. Like I mentioned earlier, the network of investors and VC, especially consumer, so small. And once you kind of make those rounds, get to know everyone, the word travels really quickly. Okay, this this girl's got something interesting here. This girl's got something going on. And it's not just a tabloid sideshow weirdo that has nothing going on except attention in the tabloids. So a lot of it is word of mouth, interviews like this, and really being intentional with any press you do um, to really define your narrative and not let it be defined for you. How have you been able to handle when there has been press that hasn't been true about you or, you know, can be upsetting because it's not the narrative that you put out there and they're just creating? Like when you go to sleep at night and for me, I feel like that would be so stressful. Like how do you handle that and keep moving forward and stay so strong? That's tough. I think in general, at the beginning, it was very difficult. Now it's just kind of like, whatever. I I roll with the punches at this point. You've got to be really secure with yourself. I think that's really important, but I don't, I wouldn't say I was super secure with myself when that all started happening, but you learn to be really quick. You have one option. You can roll with the punches or you can just kind of back out and shut down. And you would, you know, I imagine you would have a lot of issues, 
but I just learned through trial and error how to deal with that to the best of your ability. And you'll, you'll figure that out and you figure out how to play it and you figure out how to control the narrative more. It just all comes kind of with practice. And do you, would you say you have a favorite mantra or quote that you live by? Yes. Don't be afraid to be told no. I am not afraid of no in any way, shape or form. Nobody wants to be told no, but I'm not afraid of it. I love that. Now I have a question for you. When someone does tell you no, do you work harder to get the yes or do you let them say no, the doors close and you move on? It kind of depends. Sometimes I like to put up a little bit of a fight. I don't think you should <laughs> I don't think you should take no for an answer in a lot of the cases. A no the first time, you can try to get in there and turn that around. So sometimes, but it really depends on the context of a no. I think one thing I hear from a lot of female founders or male founders, anybody, is that getting told no is exhausting during the fundraising mm-hmm. process specifically. I get it. But for all of those no's, there's a yes. Yeah. And it's somewhere in there. And it could be 150, 200 pitches later. But if you really believe in it, you can't be that crazy to believe in your idea that isn't really that compelling. It's got to be compelling to somebody if it's compelling to you. So I would just say keep going. But yeah, you're going to get a lot of no's. Were there any investors that did say no to you that you kept going back to them and saying, no, you need to take this seriously. You're the right investor. And they ended up investing or once in the investment process, when someone says no, do you just move on? Kind of depends what their reason is for saying no. If it's pretty, pretty rational, or I feel it's pretty rational, I'll kind of just back off because there are so many fish in the sea, so to speak, or so many investors out there. Sometimes it's not even worth your time to fight it, but sometimes it is. I can point to yesterday. I had this investor I was talking to who wasn't getting it. He wasn't getting the vision. He wasn't getting the idea. He said, I'm not really bullish on CPG, but I'm really bullish on tech-enabled CPG. And I was like, wait, that's exactly what I described to you yesterday. Maybe we need to reconnect. And we reconnected this morning and it's an entirely different perspective. So sometimes it's worth dissecting why is it a no and going in and going after it. But sometimes just take it and move forward. That's really good advice. Now, what would you say you're most grateful for every day? So I think in a work sense and a personal sense, it's really important to surround yourself with positive people, which I mentioned earlier. And I think today, you know, the most positive person that has a constant presence in my life with work, with personal, with anything is my co-founder. And so I think I I couldn't imagine doing this, uh, this fun project without him. And it's been so much fun. I think he really keeps me going and keeps me kind of on an even keel with anything in my life. And so that's great to really have, you know, someone you're so close to be such a positive influence in your life. And I, I would hope that, you know, for anyone that's their, their partner, their business partner, their best friend, their mom, whoever it is. Um, but I'm really grateful for, for him to be doing this company with me. Thank you so much for sharing that. And lastly, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Well, I keep talking about not taking no for an answer, but I would say not taking no for an answer. Don't go down without a fight, you know, believe in yourself, believe in what you have to offer. 
Because if you don't believe in it, how are you going to convince someone else to believe in it? If you don't believe in you, how are you going to convince someone else to believe in you? So you've got to be super confident, super strong. And that's not easy, by the way. That's very easy for me to say, but I struggle with it every day. But I think you constantly want to be pushing yourself to be strong and confident and believe in yourself because no one else will believe in you as much as you do. I love that so much. And you have shared such incredible advice and you are wise beyond your entrepreneurial years. And I know everyone's going to learn so much from you and I can't wait to continue to follow you and your journey. And of course, we're going to buy your your products. I can't wait to try them now that I'm living down in, Courtney and I are both living in Florida right now. So we definitely need lots of, lots of sunscreen down here. Yes, so. you do. Where can everyone find you, follow you? And of course, by your products? Everything is MyLumisol, at MyLumisol on all of the channels. And MyLumisol.com is our website where you can buy our products. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. You can connect with us at SocialFlyNY.com and follow us on Instagram at Entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at EntrepreneistaPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.